Hello, Pivoters. Welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU, your podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for making a pivot away from campus-based positions in education toward other opportunities. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Stuttert pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they are giving back and supporting others doing the same. Hello and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Stuttert. And we are here with one of our practicals, teaching you how to uh, really get practical with your pivot. We've heard from listeners, they really appreciate these. And today's is one that we know there's a demonstrated need for because people have told us they feel uncomfortable with negotiation. That is a broad, you know, concept of like negotiating an entire package. And we know too that you should negotiate because we know that from research, um, specifically a new study by the employment screening provider, JDP, that only 41% of candidates negotiate job offers. So, you know, we encourage that you really do think about how you're going to approach negotiation. Many folks feel uncomfortable with it. Folks from historically marginalized backgrounds feel uncomfortable. Same thing with women. So we're here to give you some strategies. This is on the tail end of our last episode with Darren Jones. Um, Darren gave kind of a different perspective than what Tom and I uh, might have normally suggested to folks. And, And it's an interesting one. And, you know, just as a reminder, if you didn't get to listen to it, he encouraged uh, you to let them do the negotiation for you. So do things like asking them, what's the best package you can offer me? And what are the aspects that I can negotiate? So um, that is definitely an interesting way to go about doing it. But we recognize that that's not always the way that we're going to do it, right? We recognize that some folks are uncomfortable doing that, that uh, depending on who you're speaking with, it might feel challenging to do that. And so we recognize that while that might be some great practical advice, and I think it really is, that we wanted to also give you some practical advice on on how to do that negotiation, particularly because at the end of the day, this is your career and only you are going to be the one that can be really responsible for making sure that you get what you need out of the negotiation process. And so I'm excited to work with Jamie today so that we can give you some practical practical advice for that pivot. We are going to be sort of bucketing our advice for you in two sort of different categories. One is how to negotiate. So we're going to give you some basics of considering how to approach the negotiation process. And then what can you negotiate? And, you know, there's a lot of different things in corporate that are not really negotiable or even possibilities in campus-based positions. So um, we're going to get started with how to negotiate. So Tom is going to start us off with our first nugget. Yeah. So as you're approaching the negotiation process, so you've, you know, had the, you've applied, you've had the interview, you're being offered, and now you're going back and forth. The first thing that you've got to do is to really make it clear that you're gettable, right? That you are somebody that uh, is, you know, for lack of a better term, sort of wanted, right? Uh, You are somebody that is valuable to uh, the organization that's bringing you on and that you need to make it very clear that you want the job, but that they want you, Uh, that uh, it's really a two-way street. And so as you're thinking about that, that how, that first thing is to really make sure that it's clear in your verbal communication, it's clear in your written communication, it's clear from the hiring manager to the HR representative that you've spoken with that that you're a gettable person, uh, that you have value and that the value that you bring is different and better than anybody else that's applying for that position. Stand tall and be confident in the fact that that you are the right fit for the role. Otherwise, you wouldn't have made it that far in the interview process to begin with. Likewise, you know, just letting them know that you're gettable in the aspect of if they give you what you desire, you would take the job. Right. Like they want to know that the time they're investing in this back and forth negotiation is going to result in 
you being gotten. So I would, I would emphasize that too. Um, but just also keep in mind as you're approaching your asks that, you know, you need to understand and be respectful of their constraints. Some of them you may know about and some of you may not, but you know, if you're, if it's a nonprofit, like they're probably not going to be able to pay as much as, you know, for-profit companies. Um, how, depending on how things are funded might make a difference as well. Like a sales position might be um, on commission and, and therefore your salary may not upfront be as high as you want it to be because there's a commission base. Like you need to understand that there's constraints, there's equity concerns. So just because you have 25 years in higher ed and a doctorate, you know, doesn't mean that they can necessarily fund that. Um, also, sometimes the funding is based off of like um like a constraint, like uh, an external budget. Uh, many OPMs are funded by campuses. And if they're trying to keep the cost of higher ed down, then they're, they can't pay as much. So kind of, you know, really try to be understanding of that upfront. I think the other constraint that I think is really important is, and, and I've done this a few times where when I've offered a position, I've made it very clear in that first offer, this is a yeah. final non-negotiable offer because I recognize that the person that that is interviewing is worth the top top dollar amount for what I can offer. I'm going to go ahead and offer that partly because I don't want to go back and forth, um, you know, a lot, but partly also because I just want to make it easy. Here, here's the the offer. Mm-hmm. Here's what I can negotiate. Here's what I can get you. If they say that, then it's probably smart to move to other negotiating um, uh, things that you can, uh, you can look at. So uh, if, if the offer is for salary and they say they can't negotiate it, there may be some other things, but don't, don't try to negotiate something that, that you can't negotiate. Um, Good point. The third thing that I think is really important is, is how you're sort of the, the medium to negotiate, right? Um, I'm old school, Jamie, I don't, you're younger than I am. So I don't know if you feel the same, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm old school in that I want the negotiation to be done sort of quote unquote face to face. Now, with that said, we recognize that we're in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, some of that will be uh, over the Zoom, uh, as Jamie makes fun of me because I add the article the the before that. Um, but uh, you know, it, particularly nowadays, a lot more companies are doing that back and forth via via email conversations, and so uh, those are two different mediums, and they require two different types of styles, right? When you're talking with somebody face-to-face or, or via Zoom, you have to really think about your confidence level. You have to think about sort of your approach and, and to, to, you know, not, not to be vain, but your appearance and, and sort of how you come across, um, which may not necessarily be as necessary in email. But the flip side of that is if you're communicating via email, your communication technique, the way in which you write, the way in which you sort of um, pitch it are going to be just as, if not more important, because you've lost that face-to-face interaction. So there's pros and cons to both, but it's important to really consider the medium in which you are negotiating. And it doesn't hurt to ask the hiring manager, the HR official, hey, would you be willing to jump on a Zoom or a phone call if you feel more comfortable doing that? You know, practice what is best for you or practice what is important to do, but think about what's best for you in that situation. Um, I don't know any hiring manager that's not willing to get on the phone to say, to, to sort of land the right candidate for their role. Yeah. And I would say too, you can also ask, Hey, you know, think I, like I always, this may be just a bit of a like minor nugget, but like, I'll, I'll always say, it's just like, thank you for the offer. I'm really excited. You know, and then it's always like a standard, you know, I really want to think about it or talk it over with my family. And can I get back to you? You could also just say, you know, do you have a preference if I get back to you via email or, you know, over the phone? I prefer email just because I don't have to coordinate like a time that works for both of us just for them to be like, can I have X, Y, Z more? But uh, it is very personal or personal as a choice. I think you gave great things to consider, Tom, on, on picking the modality. Also, something important to consider is when you are kind of negotiating, you need to think of the entire package, which Tom and I are going to talk about, like all of the things you can negotiate, but you need to kind of negotiate it all at once. You don't want to be like, let's, okay, first call is, let me talk with you. This is the salary I was really thinking I would land at as the like sort of market uh, analysis led me to, okay, great. It, it may be HR, it may be the hiring manager. They can get back to you and say, yeah, we can do that. Then you write and say, well, 
PTO, can we flex that or, you know, whatever it is. And that's, that's going to be um, kind of frustrating for the person that you're working with because, you know, we do want to get you, but we don't want to take forever either. So you need to be thoughtful up front. And, you know, I've seen sometimes candidates that are like, oh, well, they gave me that. Maybe I should ask for more. And that I've had that happen before. And that really turned me off of uh, the candidate before. And it was like the, just because I'm willing to give you more doesn't mean like I can, it can be endless. So, um, so you have to be thoughtful about how, about that entire package. Again, we'll talk more about all of the things that can include um, shortly. Yeah, Jamie, that's really important is, you know, before you go into the negotiation, I recommend writing down what it is that you want to get out of it and, and where you're, where you are willing to wiggle, right? Um, you know, you might be willing to take less of a, of a uh, salary offer if they're willing to let you work remote full time. You might be willing to, uh, you know, take less of a base if the commission uh, on time earnings is maybe a little bit higher or there's an opportunity for higher earnings based on your performance. So it's really important to have sort of your your uh, sort of steadfast uh, rules for how 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 you what you need going into the process. Um, also, you know, and, and this is really important is. When I am hiring folks, uh, it is not personal when I'm going through the negotiation process. I am presenting you my business numbers. Um, now, with that said, if you turn the tables and you want more after we've already landed on a number, then it's going to become a little personal, like Jamie said. Mm-hmm. But, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, you know, it's not personal. Like we, we have gotten to the point where we've invested time into the process. We clearly, as an employer, want you. Um, you hopefully want to work with us. And so it might feel like it's personal. And it is for you because we're talking about salary and bonuses and, and things that are, are part, of who, part of how you're going to survive in the world, right? But from our perspective, you know, I'm giving you the, the numbers that are on a piece of paper from a spreadsheet that I'm authorized to give you based on, on our <laughs> yeah. HR rules. And so it's not yep. personal. Um, and so part of that is, is you've got to ask. Um, you've got to ask for, for whatever it is that you need in order to make, make it work for yourself. Because if you don't, then you know, that, that actually reflects too, is that you know, I sort of expect people to, to mm-hmm. come back and ask for something. And particularly in roles that I'm hiring where they're dealing with our customers, if you can't negotiate, then are you going to be good at sort of the job that you're being hired for? So um, it, it's going to feel personal, but but I promise you it's not. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to emphasize that because you'll probably, most of the people we've talked to, at least for me, women and people from, you know, historically marginalized backgrounds tend to feel a lot of anxiety around negotiation. And we wanted to emphasize this point with you to know that it's not, it's a logistical thing for the person on the other end. So they're not going to be mad if you ask for something that's a thoughtful ask, which we'll talk about um, shortly. Um, Tom's given one example of what they might get a little frustrated with. and I'll give a a few later. So keep that in mind. Also, you know, and this kind of is along the lines of um, Darren's recommendation, but if you're not really sure if something is negotiable, which to Tom's point, I've been quite surprised that the people I've hired, probably half of them literally just accepted what I offered. And um, I I felt sad for them because I, you know, I expected and I like pre-approved some negotiation wiggle room. But even if you feel uncomfortable, you can at least ask, can I negotiate this offer? Um, And further, besides base pay, what are the other benefits that are negotiable? So if they tell you, like Tom said, up front, I'm offering you at the top, you know, that I can possibly offer you because I see your value. You can say, thank you for that. What else is negotiable? Um, So that's that's an important thing to kind of keep in mind if you're feeling you know, kind of unsure because we do sometimes frame it like this is the starting salary. Like even some, a lot of companies are posting it on job descriptions and that's good. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's not negotiable. 
you know, it's interesting, Jamie, before we give the last piece of advice on this bucket and go to the next one, I, I do want to address, you know, I, I see a lot of folks in LinkedIn circles and in uh, Facebook circles sort of saying, you know, post the salary, post the salary. And, yeah. you know, I, I certainly get that. It makes it sort of, you know, easier to understand why, you know, whether or not you should apply for it and take the time to do that. You know, I'll share with, with listeners, and I've shared this with a few folks that have uh, uh, um, gone through either our process or gone through sort of my consulting uh, piece is that uh, the reason that we don't post it is because the range is pretty large based on your experience. Yeah. You know, we, I, when I post a uh, good example is when I post a learning and development manager at my, 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 uh, at my business, we have levels one, two, three, and four for that learning and development manager. A level one is going to be somebody fresh out of college, doesn't have a lot of experience. A level four, which is actually a senior title, might be somebody with a master's degree who has 10, 15 years of experience in that particular field. And the salary ranges are going to be very different for that, for that level of experience. And I don't want to turn off either one of those applicants to the process. And if I give you yeah. the range up front, if I say the range is from 60 to 100, then regardless of the experience, you're going to want to negotiate for that 100. And I would certainly understand that. But you know, part of it is recognizing that in some instances, the range is there because there's, there's, a diff, there's different levels of experience that we're potentially bringing to the, to the table. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And, you know, to some extent, it's like you see some of the, the comments on social media about like, what's the salary? And it's a little like, well, you know, there needs to be some research on your behalf. Like Google it, Google what a XYZ makes. Just because I, I do get what you said, Tom, like, you know, people want to know whether it's even a feasible thing for them to move to, but like, but Google it, you know, um, and then there's, there's people who get pretty frustrated about, you know, not making it to the interview round and things like that. And it's just, you need, you need to just remember that like I've had like 250 applications at least for every single job I've posted. Like there's going to be people more qualified. So uh, I right. try, try not to make it super personal. Right. Um, okay. that's my best, or last nugget of advice. Yep. Last but not least is, is get it in writing. And, you know, we, we've heard that before, right? And everything that we do, sort of the piece of advice is to get it in writing. Um, and that is no different when you're doing a negotiation for your salary and your benefits. Um, you know, if you are looking at multiple positions, if you've got multiple jobs on, you know, sort of multiple job offers, if you're looking to potentially leave a role to go take a new role, don't do anything until you've got it in writing. I know very clearly at the company that I work for, we issue an offer letter. It's a, um, you know, it's a binding letter from our perspective. It has everything that you need to know about the position, including salary benefits, who you report to, start date. It gives you all the benefits and the costs for those benefits, um, you know, the shared costs for those benefits. And that's sort of our official quote unquote contract with you as an, as a new employee, which then you can sort of have and take to the bank. Right. Um, you know, I know, for example, when I've moved across the country, I moved, you know, particularly even when I worked in higher ed, I couldn't even get a new apartment until I had that offer letter. Right. Cause it showed like, Hey, this mm -hmm. is my history, right. Of, uh, as I, as I get ready to sign a lease somewhere. And so get it in writing, get it in writing, get it in writing. It is, it is pivotal, um, particularly before you make any decisions about your current employment or perhaps even saying no to other offers that might be on the table. I agree. And you might even, I've done this before and I've had candidates do this, even with that first verbal offer, I have like had candidates follow up in writing and confirm what they understood the offer to be um, or asked me to do that. And that has been less of a, like, you know, in case it changes or whatever. Um, and you, you don't want to like base your future employment on, on this kind of space. You want to follow what Tom said, but I think it's useful to just have it all written out so that there is no misunderstandings on what you expect to come in that offer letter. So again, even if you send it over and say, I'm just confirming I'm understanding correctly, I feel like that, um, that, that I've respected people wanting to do. All right. So now is the part that we talk about what to negotiate. And again, these things are a different, quite different. Um, salary is, is similar in some ways. So we're going to start with that. First bit of advice with regard to salary 
is that um, it's good to start with a range in mind. Tom gave excellent advice of like, think about what your non-negotiables are. Um, And so you need to think about this. I wouldn't think of like it from the aspect of I've worked in higher ed for 20 years. I should be making X, Y, Z because I have a doctorate. So I should be getting double this. Like you need to think of a range that would make you feel as though um, your, it matches what is required of the job and your experience. Um, it's not about your desire. It needs to be justified. You need to do research. You need to look um, and do a market analysis. You can Google it. There's four or five websites that post salaries of general, generally similar positions. And you may end up with a fairly wide range, even from that, which is okay. At least it gives you a ballpark to know where you would land. But you need to have a generally good sense of what the range for a position like this would be. So if I looked up a vice president for customer success, I could find on, again, four or five websites, salary.com, Glassdoor, the average salary. And some even have company-specific information for that position. Um, so you need to have that in mind um, and you need to compare it against the minimum qualifications and how your experience aligns with that. Right. Like Tom mentioned, like he has a pretty wide range that he can offer to people based on their experience. So you need to think how you fit in that. Um, people will be disappointed if they come in with Tom and he posts a you know, $40,000 range and they want to get the hundred thousand dollar salary, but they get the sixty. But then, when you actually look at the minimum requirements, you're actually like closer to those minimums. Um, so you want to keep that in mind. And then, you know, a big question is like, how much do you negotiate for? And I think that is proportionate in some ways to the salary amount. Like, I'm not going to just say like you should negotiate for five thousand because if you're making hundred and fifty thousand, five thousand is not really that much. I don't know that I would ask for more than 10% of the salary. Um, and I have had instances where like I've offered someone, let's just say I'm making this up 50,000 and they come back and ask for 70 or I've posted the salary at like seventies and they asked for nineties. And I'm just kind of like, really though? <laughs> But that it almost feels kind of disrespectful because it's like that is I can't where can I meet you with that? That is a a wide gap, and it kind of shows me that you haven't necessarily done your own research to understand what I just talked about the market analysis, um, et cetera. And you know, along those lines, and then I definitely want to hear Tom's thoughts on the salary renegotiation, though he was nodding his head when I said, don't ask for more than 10% of your offer. But, um, you know, sometimes it's like, should I tell them how much I currently make? Well, I will tell you that if you're leaving a campus-based position at like 50,000 and you're being offered 70, uh, it's not going to really do you any good to like tell your current salary. Um, Sometimes, you know, like, like for me, if I were to leave my current role, I would not want to make less than I'm making now. And I might anchor that, you know, if it was a lateral move, I might say, you know, like, I'm, I'm willing to make this move, but like, I'm not willing to get salary cut. Um, and I might be kind of transparent about what I make. But for the most part, what you currently make is not really relevant to the conversation. It's more about how you fit the minimum qualifications and the market analysis. And you can ask what the, what is the, the range, you know, um, and kind of go from there. So those are the thoughts on salary. I should emphasize you should, you should almost always negotiate. You should know that if you're offered 70, they have likely budgeted like up to 75, for instance, you know, like just know that that is a thing. Pivoting out of EDU, we'll be right back after this quick message. Coaching Through It is a podcast hosted by myself, Laura Pasquini, and Julie Larson. We're two former higher education professionals who made the jump to corporate life and now are learning what professional coaching is all about. Coaching Through It will offer you and explain what coaching actually is and how it might help your pivot 
out of EDU and support your career transition. We'll be digging into coaching tools, techniques, and resources that we find useful. Not only will you get these tools, but you'll find out what's useful for you and where you're at in your career. We're both career coaches and support transitions and pivots, and we have a number of other coaches you might want to learn from as we feature them on interviews on the pod. And let's get real, we've been friends for over a decade, so you might just hear an episode or two of us coaching one another. And a bit of real talk of what it's like to be in the world of work and how transitions and pivots happen today. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, as we'll be coaching through it. And now, back to the show. What do you think, Tom, on the salary front? Yeah. So, Jimmy, I think you hit on on the key pieces, and you're right. I was shaking my head at the 10%. Uh, I think anything more than that feels a little bit of a stretch. Um, um, I do think, and you know, uh, if you are uh, an employee or executive at the company that I work for, close your ears. Um, but I do think you should probably ask for more than you probably think you can get um, because they're going to want to negotiate you down. Like it's, it's yeah. the, the company's going to want to feel like they won that battle. Right. Um, and so if you ask for $10,000 uh, more, be okay with seven or, or, or six, um, because they're going to probably come back at you with, with a sort of a counter offer. Um, so I think that that's important to remember. The last thing that I would add to this is, is geographic considerations. And I would not have added that prior to the pandemic. Um, uh, although certainly there's some, some there, therefore, if you have to move to, um, you know, Portland, Oregon, or Washington, D.C., or New York, or whatever, to take on the role, and it's an in-office role, there's there's potentially some, some sort of uh, cost analysis that you need to do from, from, you know, the cost of living in those areas. But now in the middle of the pandemic, that the, the geographic conversation is even different, right? So my company, we have headquarters in, in Portland, Oregon, and, well, I'm sorry, we have offices in Portland, Oregon, we have offices in Washington, D.C., we have offices in, in the Boston area. Well, the position that I'm posting for a learning and development manager is going to have three different salaries based on those three locations, because we are going to look Hmm. at the cost of living in those areas. Now, the key becomes, we're not requiring you to move to one of those cities in the middle of a pandemic. You can be remote. Um, So companies are sort of doing two things. Uh, One, they might say that you're zoned to to the Portland office. And so therefore, you're going to get that salary. And particularly in my company where we're going, we are going to come back in a hybrid model eventually, and people are going to be asked to return to an office. There is a, an office that you're zoned to, but there's also the, um, the, well, I live in San Francisco, even though I never, and I don't step foot in the office. Uh, and so are, do you make the San Francisco market or do you make the Portland market? Um, and in, in many instances, you have to sort of think through that with the, with the hiring manager. I think if, if you would have, started started talking with hiring managers 18 months ago at the start of this pandemic, they wouldn't have known how to answer that really well. Nowadays, I think we've gotten sort of a talk track where we know, okay, you live in a different city. We're going to pay you based on the market rate of that city. You might have to move eventually. Um, and then also really think about like, you know, if you decide to move. So if you're calling from San Francisco and in a year, you know, you need to move to Oklahoma city you know, you need to make sure that you have in writing that that once you are once you are at a geographic location, that that your salary won't change because in some instances mm-hmm. the company might say, well, now you're in a even though you're remote, you've moved from a really uh, from a really um, high cost cost of living environment to a low cost. So we, they might want to. There's an opportunity at that point to sort of say if your convert if your salary is offered based on your location, that that might change based on your new location. So those are just things to think about and make sure that. That's a part of that, what is in writing for you. Yeah. And ask, like, is, is geographic location something we can negotiate or factor in? Because it's interesting. What you just described is, like, not at all been the experience I've had. It's, like, you, you know, know, good for you. The salaries are based like, on, you know, average. Florida or Ohio. Because it's going to, the money is going to stretch further kind of thing. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think what you described makes a lot of sense. I just, I haven't experienced it um, or seen that as much, but uh, also, you know, to your point, the pandemic is, is influencing. Yeah. So definitely yeah. interesting to think yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what about equity? Yeah. What the heck is equity? I got to tell you, Tom, I, I think I've told you, but I'm going to tell you like you haven't heard it and you're going to like act shocked, but. When I started at my current employer, I got offered equity. 
real. I didn't know what that was. It was like, hey, guess what? You get this. Sign this document. I was like, I'm not paying for this, okay? Like, I was, like, nervous. I was like, I don't want to sign for anything I'm responsible for. I don't know what this is. Do I have to pay for it? When will I have to pay for it? It was so confusing. And I was, like, afraid of it. Like, I <laughs> legit was afraid of it. Yeah, so, I mean, here. yeah. So, I mean, equity is, you know, sort of equity in the ownership of the company, right? At the at the true heart of it, like whether it's a public company or a private company, there's options re- related to equity, and equity is usually based on company performance. Um, and so, uh, you know, I work for a public company, so our equity is is stock options um, or shares uh, that can be turned into stock options. Um, you know, once 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 they vested. Um, and so, uh, it, it really is just sort of a, a portion of ownership of the company, just like our, our, um, our, st- just like, you know, um, a, a shareholder in a, in any other public company for a lot of private companies. And, and my, my company started as a private company, you get shares and maybe the private entity, um, uh, that, you know, hopefully will one day become, you know, public shares or public stock options in a public company. Um, and those, those equity the, the equity pieces are, 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 are paid out in different ways. Um, for us, it's based on company performance. Now, the level of equity that somebody gets is based on what position they're in. Somebody who is a, hired in at a C level is going to get more equity than somebody who's hired in at an individual contributor level. And that's okay. That's normal. Um, but there's also opportunities to, to, to get additional equity throughout your employment. Great example at, at the company that I work for now, based on company performance, based on success, based on uh, board allocation, there's opportunities for uh, equity bonuses that are retention bonuses when we recognize that there's high performers that we want to make sure that they never leave us. Um, and then there's also opportunities to sort of disseminate it across the entire company base uh, because we've done something, we've hit a goal, we've hit a number, et cetera. Uh, so that's, you know, that's the short end of what equity is. Um, there is a, a vesting schedule usually for equity. For example, when I get my equity award or equity awards, uh, they're, they're a four-year vesting schedule. And the reason for that is that they're all retention-based. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that my company doesn't want me to leave anytime soon. And so, you know, they'll give me a, a, an equity bonus that's for four years because that's going to tie me to the company for the next four years particularly at the levels that that we're talking about from a public perspective. So um, so the how much to ask for though is is a challenging challenging conversation, right? Because um, it's usually not about how much to ask for, but about asking for equity. Um, and, and so I, I think it's important that that equity is always a conversation that you have. Are there opportunities for equity? Are there opportunities for stock options? And you should have that conversation with the hiring manager, with the HR official. In many companies, uh, equity is going to be regulated based on the based on the titles, based on the um, uh, based on the leveling that you're in. So, for example, at the company I'm at, there is an initial equity that is given to every new employee, and then the percentage of that is based on where you are in the organization. Um, and so if you're an individual contributor starting in an entry-level position, you might get X number, but if you're a, a vice president or a senior vi- vice president, you might get Y level. Um, but um, that, that it's a given at, at our company. That's how we, you know, that's part of our sort of quote-unquote signing bonus. Um, however, with that said, you know, many companies, uh, you know, may not automatically offer that. And so it's important to ask that question. I asked that question when I started at what was then the private company. Uh, and that was a conversation that I had. And then I was able to get more shares at that time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but it is important to, to ask the question. Be, re- be pre- prepared for the response that it is a consistent number that happens based on leveling in the organization. Follow-up question. Would you say, like, let's say you're offered, you know, 10,000 options um, or shares. Would you say, you know, instead of having that, could you just add it on to my salary? You can. I mean, I think that that's always an option, right? you should be prepared that the that the response is likely going to be no because of the vesting schedule. So, uh, you know, they if if the company that I work for now gave me my equity as a part of my my salary, um they would have had to upfront that money all at once. Where now it's sort of over a four-year time period. 
also, I think you're selling yourself short. Um, and you're also sending a message that you maybe not, you're not able to buy into the future strength of the company that you're going to. Um, you know, the, the equity that I was given when I first started at the company that I'm at now, it's worth a lot more than it was even a year ago when we went public because of our stock prices. And so if I would have asked for that in my salary, I would have shot myself in the foot to some extent, because now it's a, it's worth a whole, it's worth more than double what it was when we went public. Um, and so keep that in mind. You can certainly negotiate it. You can certainly ask for it, but you might be sending the wrong message to a future employer that you're not excited about the future trajectory of the company. A hundred percent. agree on that. And I mean, the shooting yourself in the foot thing is what I'd emphasize. And so I want to just break something down for people because I needed it like this. Let's say when you sign on to a company, so this is how equity works. John, you can tell me if I'm, I'm right, because I'm still learning myself. But let's say you sign on and you, you get 10,000 shares for 10 cents each. That's $1,000. That's how much it's going to cost you. And usually it takes you a period of time to like vest those. So actually you have to stay at the company long enough to get that 10,000 shares, right? Well, let's say the company's not public yet, but the company goes public. And when it goes public, the shares are $15 a share. So they've gone from 10 cents to $15. So what you're going to do then is think, okay, well, $15 times 10,000 shares, that's $150,000. So you have to pay $1,000 for those. So you can have that like subtracted from, you know, if you choose to cash it all out, which that's a whole nother story on like tax implications, but you've essentially made $149,000. So if you, and, and those numbers I gave, like there's not very many shares that start out, I think at 10 cents, but the, the difference between how they start and how they end, it, that can be, you know, that's familiar to me for the, the growth in the, in the shares. If you say, no, I just would like $5,000 more on my salary. You've like literally lost the potential of getting like $130,000. So. And Jamie, what not a good idea. I think what's really important is what Jamie is talking about is stock options, right? And stock options are things that you have to purchase at a sort of a lower price than the, than the market rate. In some situations, equity is given out as shares that will then become stock that you do not have to pay for. So it's it's really important to sort of differentiate what the company is offering for you. Are they offering the options that you have to purchase at a lower rate, or are they offering you straight up shares that then can turn into to to stock? You know, once they vest. Um, Jamie did bring up a really good point: is the tax implications. Um, you know, uh, shares when they vest are become taxable in that, 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 that taxable year. Um, and it's always important to sort of have that conversation with, um, you know, an accountant or somebody that you trust that, uh, sort of knows the legal ramifications of that, because once that vests, it all gets added to your salary and can potentially throw you into different tax brackets. Yes. Good problem to have, but still something to manage. The next topic we wanted to talk about is bonuses. Um, And we kind of laughed about this in the episode with Darren that was just before this one. But bonuses, amazing, right? It is wonderful to get them. What are they? Um, Typically, how I've seen them is that you you are eligible for a certain percent of your salary in a bonus each year, depending on the performance of the company, your team, and your individual performance. And often it's a an equation that combines all three. Although I have seen that the higher up you are in the organization, your um, the company's um, goals and achievement of their goals is, is more compared to if you're like entry level, your own performance is more. But I think that's kind of um, different. Um, so with bonuses, so I, I'd like to give an example. Let's say you're offered a salary of $100,000. You might be told that that includes an up to 10% bonus annually. So that would mean if you get all of what you're eligible for, you would get $10,000 um, before taxes, of course. So that is a nice little drop in the bucket. It's usually done each year. and um, and sometimes, you know, you can kind of get a sense of like what the history of the company has been because the 
the up to 10,000 is real or 10%. Like you, you know, some companies, if they're not profitable yet, like there may have a history of like only being able to do like half of the, the percent. Um, a very good colleague of mine who actually um, is on season two, she told me she never relies or assumes she's going to get the bonus. She just approaches as like an extra, but um, that's what they are. And they're, they're also like, um, equity and stock options, they're usually aligned with the position level. So um, they're not wildly negotiable. I do think that differs depending on the position, like the functional unit you're in. Like if you're in sales, I think that maybe there might be a different way to negotiate, which maybe Tom has more info on that. And then if you're higher up um, in the organization, like let's say you're, you know, a candidate for an executive team member position. um, I think that would be an instance where you could attempt to negotiate for a higher bonus or even like they may say, you know, your bonus is based off of this. And you could say, well, you know, what if I take, you know, commit to like achieving this KPI and this metric. If I do, I'd like 25% as a bonus. So um, there may be some flexibility there, but that's where you can ask, is there flexibility? So I wanted to add some terms here for folks uh, when it comes to sort of salary and bonuses. There's a, there's a phrase that we use called OTE or OTC, on-time earnings or on-time compensation. Um, we use OTE where I work, uh, and, and that does look at your entire package, you know, what based on your salary. And if you were to get your entire bonus or commission, uh, that is your, that is your OTE. That is your package. That is what we have budgeted for. Now, some folks can go over that, particularly if they're on a commission structure, um, or, or potentially go under it if they don't, don't quite hit it. Jamie did mention commissions. Uh, you know, if you're going into a sales position, a sales-related role, it is almost uh, a guarantee that the bonus will be called a commission. Um, there's very few bonuses. There may be bonuses like at the end of the year for company, you know, company goals, but you as an individual are working towards commission plan. And you will find in those instances that your salary will be lower, uh, your base salary will be lower than than the bonus, or not than the bonus, but it will be lower because there's an expectation that you will hit uh, you know, your commission dollars. You can negotiate sort of the percent or the total OTE, but I know in most sales organizations, those uh, compensation plans change either on the half year or the quarter. Uh, And, you know, it's based on company initiatives. You know, we're trying to sell this product, so we're going to uh, put more sort of eggs in that basket, or we're trying to establish this process, so we're going to put more in that process. So just recognize, particularly for those of you who have not been in sales positions or sales-related roles before, that is a conversation that you should have probably with a salesperson in your life uh, to sort of understand that negotiation process or reach out to, you know, Jamie or myself, and we can sort of talk you through that. Um, but, but commission and bonuses, while sort of are in the same umbrella, are very different things. And particularly because bonus or, bonuses are usually a smaller percent where commissions I've seen in some roles, the commission is actually a higher number than the base salary. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think we've ever really talked much about commission, but I think that's mostly because some of our listeners are just not the type of folks that are going to go into sales positions. Right. Yeah. But, but you never know. Definitely I mean, something to think about. Yeah. Right. So there's one last sort of catch-all bucket of things that you can negotiate for. And it's sort of what, what Jamie and I call the benefits, right? Now, I would imagine that many of you think benefits and you're thinking like medical insurance, et cetera, but there's a lot of benefits beyond sort of your health, dental, and vision. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, 401k or, um, you know, short-term and long-term disability, some of that's going to be baked in, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit more challenging to negotiate the specifics of the sort of the health benefits or the four or the 401k percentage or the cost of your long-term and short-term disability, because those are baked in numbers that are negotiated with the, uh, the health insurance company, et cetera. So the, 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 the ability to negotiate that is going to be probably a little less. However, when it comes to that sort of blanket of, of benefits, you can ask about opting out to see if you can get paid more. Uh, at many companies, the whether it's 25 to 35% of the, the number that we have budgeted for you in our sort of back-end finance numbers in, is, is 
you know, your salary plus an additional 25 to 35% to cover those, those additional benefits. Some companies pay a huge portion of that for, on behalf of the employee. Some do, um, you know, it's a half and half. Some do, it's more on the employee, particularly if it's a, a family plan where you've got, you know, a spouse and children. So it, it's, it is something you can ask uh, if you are on your partner's uh, insurance plan, um, you know, at, your partner works at a different company and you're enrolled uh, there um, and it's cheaper for, for that person to hold that. You can ask for that. Um, it, it, it's something that, that you should be prepared to be told no, but at the end of the day, you can ask for that. And in some instances that will work, but there's also some other benefits and particularly related to the, to the pandemic, right? We're all working from home right now. And so uh, there's some things that you can ask for, for that work from home, whether it's, uh, you know, an additional stipend for office supplies or, or desk uh, or internet or phone bill or whatever the case may be, things that, that, that you have to have now uh, in order to do your job. Um, and so that's, that's something I, I would encourage everybody to think about, particularly if they're either applying for a job that's currently remote or will be full-time remote. Um, there's other pieces as well. Uh, PTO or, or personal time off uh, is something to think about. In a lot of states, sick time and FMLA are regulated. Um, I know I lived in Washington state and FMLA was very regulated, very well, um, you know, very um, a very good package of benefits. But PTO, sort of the, the bigger picture, some companies offer what they call unlimited uh, PTO, which um, you know, uh, sort of here's, here's, uh, something that most people don't know. Unlimited PTO is actually an advantage for the company, not for the employee, uh, because, uh, we no longer have to factor that into our cost analysis of your position. So know that going into it and know that even though it's unlimited PTO, uh, guaranteed that it's very, very likely that your supervisor or manager still won't give you more than the two or three weeks that would have been there. Had you, uh, had you had sort of a, a definite time. Also with PTO, unlimited PTO, um, you don't get paid out at the end for what you don't take. So know that going into it. Unlimited PTO sounds great, but it's not always that great, um, particularly for the individual. Um, but you can negotiate sort of, you know, if, there, if, if there's a two-week policy, maybe you can ask for three weeks or four weeks or whatever the case may be. Um, you can also ask for things like a sign-on bonus. We talked about that a little bit earlier when we talked about equity and stock. Uh, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for a sign-on bonus. You can talk about things like, or negotiate for things like, you know, sort of, uh, community area benefits. Uh, you know, is there a local gym that you can get a discount at, uh, is there childcare options either on-site or off-site that you can, uh, you can have, um, are there, uh, local places that offer discounts for employees, uh, of the company, et cetera. So, um, you know, when I worked at, uh, this is a higher ed reference, but I, when I worked at Arizona State University, uh, I worked in the alumni association and we had tons and tons of benefits for our members that we use as, as, uh, as employees as well, you know, discounts to, you know, the, 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 the local entertainment venues, et cetera. So, um, all some, all things that you can consider as a part of sort of the extra benefits, Jamie, do you have any that I've missed or that you can think of? Um, just. Um, just the degree of flexibility that you can have, you know, which is, is not a necessarily extrinsic benefit, but it works exceptionally well. Um, that, that to me is, is key. Um, can you work from home? How, how often, et cetera. But a lot of companies that have positions that are standard, like remote positions, you know, it's good to ask about a lot of the things that you mentioned, internet, PTO, uh, not PTO, internet, computer, you know, those kinds of things. It should be standard that you get a computer. Um, I know um, my company actually offers um, transportation discounts because if you live in New York, because that's where the company is based um, and they want to encourage people to take public transportation. So just you know, those are things that be in the part of the package, but um, lots of really great things. Also, you know, to just add on to the unlimited time off thing, um, Tom, you said, like, it's not good necessarily for the employee. And I want to emphasize that the reason for that is because a lot of times people end up not taking the time off that they feel like they need because there's, in these companies that have unlimited PTO, there's actually like unwritten norms of 
don't use very much of it. So um, it doesn't, it's not really a, a great benefit. It's not really like you could just take off a month if you wanted to. So, I mean, that's certainly something to ask about in the interview process. Like, oh, I see you have unlimited PTO. What's the average that people take? You know, what's acceptable? Because it really can be deceiving. But, you know, hopefully through this episode, we have given you, you might be a little overwhelmed because I do think a lot of this will be new to to you all. But um, we wanted to make sure that you understood how to approach negotiation And also just that there's a lot available, right, that you don't typically get at the university. I know we didn't mention things like professional development as well as um, tuition support, but those are sometimes things that companies will offer, you know, so that is something that you can ask about, which um, isn't necessarily negotiable, but it's part of the package. So um, the last thing that I'll mention is, you know, as you're thinking of leaving a campus-based position to go corporate, um, you do want to think about your if you're seeking to get um, and leverage the public loan forgiveness program. Um, not that it's good to end on a bad note, so tell me you maybe need to close it on a positive note, but the, the public loan forgiveness program will not work in corporate roles. It won't. You don't qualify. So if that's something, you know, super important to you, you want to think about that. But hopefully, if you think about, you know, what what you, that benefit that you're relying upon and you weigh it against all of the benefits you'll be, you would be getting, you could see that, you know, it's still worthwhile. But just something to think about. So Tom, oh. close us out on this joyful topic of negotiation. Well, thank you, Jamie. Uh, So what I would ask is that if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, hey, I negotiated for this, or I was able to negotiate for that, and we didn't talk about that. You know, Jamie mentioned things like tuition reimbursements or maybe parking costs, you know, whatever the case may be. If you've got a great example, send us an email at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com and we'll add it to either our website, our blog, or our show notes because we'd like to hear from you all. What have you been successful in doing? Uh, What are things that maybe we didn't think about? What are things that are maybe uh, unique to a industry that you're in? And we'll post that and and give more advice and and, and more opportunities for our listeners uh, to hone in on those negotiation skills. With that said, thank you so much, Jamie, for participating in this great conversation today. Always a pleasure. Thank you to all of our listeners for listening to our episode today. And as always, make sure and stay tuned next week for another riveting uh, Pivoting Out of EDU episode. Uh, Of course, if you have any questions or need to get a hold of us, don't hesitate to visit us on our website or through our email, which you will hear in our closing comments. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. For show notes and more information about the podcast, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. If you're thinking about pursuing an opportunity outside of your campus-based position or know someone who is, visit our website for advice and resources and learn Jamie and Tom's private consultations offered to support you in your journey. If you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. 